0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org.
1: Good evening City Rev, you can go ahead and take a seat. It's a joy for us to come together under one roof and to uh, lift up the name of our Lord Jesus on Good Friday. We're gonna continue in a time of worship back to Jesus in uh, a few moments, but we're gonna take some time to study his word together and reflect. Uh, before we uh, continue some t- a time uh, of singing together. But, you know, on, on Good Friday, I've been reflecting on the idea of when victory comes at unexpected moments. When someone has victory, when someone wins, and it's against all odds. When it's the last thing that someone would expect and yet they come out on top, they come out with success. And so I wanted to share a moment of that uh, with you that I saw recently and I just think it's just one of those moments that is such an unexpected moment of victory and I wanted to share it with you. Um, And it's from, uh, it's a moment in a TV show, it's from the show, don't judge me, Britain's Got Talent. And it's the story of a guy by the name of Paul Potts. And maybe you've seen this moment uh, before. It's been on YouTube. Um, It's been seen millions of times. Hundreds of millions of times, actually. But here's a guy that is, uh, by day, he sells mobile phones. That's what he does for a living. But he has a, a dream. He has something he wants to give his life to. And he's got this one chance I mean, one moment, it's do or die, it's make or break, it's one moment, and if he's gonna have his dream, he has to win the moment. All right, check out this clip.
0: By day, I sell mobile phones. My dream is to spend my life doing what I feel that I was born to do. Cool. What are you here for today, Paul? To sing opera. I've always wanted to sing as a career. Confidence is has always been sort of like a difficult thing for me. I've always found it a little bit difficult to be completely confident in myself. Okay.
1: Ready when you are. Not bad, (laughs) not bad. Next time you go to buy a mobile phone, don't underestimate the guy on the other side of the counter. Um, I would say he won the day. I would say he left victorious. In fact, he won. That was the first season of that show, and he actually won the entire season, and he went on to a successful opera career after that, and uh, has been uh, viewed all over the world, not only online, but in person performing opera. I love that moment because it's so unexpected. No one's expecting a win like that. And yet out of it, an unexpected against all odds and in a do-or-die moment, such a thorough victory. It's so compelling. And those moments, those kind of do-or-die moments, those unexpected victories, victories from unexpected places, man, that is just so compelling. And, and I bring this up because um, Good Friday, you know, it's this mixture of moments and reactions that we have when we worship. You know, we worship a little differently on Good Friday. Because on one hand, could there be a greater tragedy in all of time the Savior and Messiah long awaited has been rejected, humiliated, brutalized, executed, and is dead. It's a greatest tragedy. It, those days, hours after his death, most hopeless in the history of the universe, And yet we call it Good Friday. Because the question, and this is what I want us to just reflect on, is in this moment that seems to be the greatest moment of defeat, is the greatest moment of victory. And I want us to reflect on why that is. Because why that is a victory matters for you today and whatever you're walking through. I want us to take a look at a song. It is the song that was sung all over Jerusalem during Passover week. It's out of the Psalms. Psalm 118. It's from what's known as the Hallel. The Hallel are the Psalms from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. These are the songs that would have been ringing out throughout Jerusalem all during Passover week, year after year, generation after generation, they would sing these songs. And the crescendo is the final song of the Hallel, Psalm 118. And so I want us to look at this song and we're gonna start in verse five. Again, this is a Passover song. And Jesus' death on the cross, Good Friday, took place on Passover week. So this song is like a backdrop. It's almost the soundtrack behind what's happening on Passion Week. And I want to take a look at a few of these verses this evening. We're going to take a look at starting in verse 5. So if you have a Bible with you or your Bible app, go ahead and open to Psalm 118, verse 5. The songwriter or the psalmist says this. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Here's what I want you to see. We're going to pause there for just a second. I want you to see how this song plays out. The psalmist, the one who's written this song, the psalmist is writing about a time of distress that he is in. Some believe that David wrote this this psalm. He's writing about this moment of distress that he's in, and yet what he sings out, what he writes down, and they sing this over and over, is out of, in that moment of distress, he calls out to the Lord in this moment of need. When he needed the Lord to deliver him, the Lord stepped in and set him free from this dark circumstance that he was in. The Lord set him free. And so he sings, he says, I have the Lord as my helper. He's like, I'm not going to trust in man. Why would I trust in even leaders, even powerful men and women? Why would I trust in princes? I have the Lord on my side, so I will be victorious. He says, I will triumph. What I want you to hear from Psalm 118 and through these next few verses is how over and over and over in multiple different ways, the psalmist is saying he will be victorious because God will win the battle for him. Listen to how many different ways he says he'll be victorious. Let's pick it up in in verse 10. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was failing, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. He's saying, man, I was surrounded on every side. He said, at all kinds of people, at all the nations, they had completely encircled me. I was surrounded. He even says the illustration, I was surrounded like bees. I want you to imagine you um, mess with a, a beehive. And I want you to imagine countless angry bees just come pouring out and they're just swarming around you. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to run. You don't know where to turn. That's how he's describing his enemies on every single side of him. All waiting to take him down. And yet he was victorious. He cut them off is the language he uses. But how did he do it? How is he declaring this triumph? Here's what he says. He says it was the strong arm of the Lord. The Lord was strong. The Lord raised up his arm in might and power and in victory. It was the Lord that saved me. It was the Lord that was valiant. It was the Lord that was strong in battle. Over and over, he's declaring the victory that he has. Let me read you a few more verses. This is verse 17. I shall not die but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. You say, man, right at the last minute in the nick of time, right when I was pushed to the, so hard, I was, I was pushed to the point of death, right in the last minute the Lord swooped in and he saved me and I, I did not die. He says, I might have been disciplined severely, but in that final moment, I was not given over to death. You see, this is a psalm, a song of victory. It's a victory song. It's a type of song they would sing after winning a war winning a battle, they would sing the song, we have been triumphant, it was the Lord who fought for us, the mighty arm of the Lord. You can see why this would be a song that they would sing during Passover, right? It makes sense to sing the song at, during Passover. This is when they're thinking all the way back to Egypt, when they were enslaved by the mightiest empire in the world of the day. And they were enslaved and the Lord rose up and he single-handedly fought Egypt on their behalf they didn't lift a finger even when egypt chased them down with their chariots the lord swallowed them up they just walked to safety the lord brought them victory you can imagine why they would sing this at passover time right but imagine just their own context every year after year what they must have thought about whatever what as they're singing the song again and thinking what god did and starting to wonder about their own dark circumstances and wondering maybe just maybe what God did. I know what God's capable. I know what he did over Passover, those many years ago where death passed over us and we walked to freedom and the Lord fought for us. I I hope, I wonder if that means the dark circumstances that I'm in, that God will bring me victory. Will God fight for me even though I'm surrounded? You can see why that would have been such a wonderful song to sing no matter what they were walking through. But I want you to think about this. They sang this song all week during Passover. And they would particularly at Passover night, they would sing the halal at the beginning of the beginning part of the Hallel at the beginning of the meal, and then after the sun had set. And remember, they think about their day differently. When the sun sets, That's not the end of the day, that's actually the beginning of a new day. The day starts in darkness and ends in light when the sun then sets the next day. But they start Passover meal, the sun would set, and then they would end a Passover meal in a new day, in the beginning of a new day, and they would sing the second half of the halal, the Passover meal would, would end with this crescendo of victory, this victory song in Psalm 118. And what the Bible tells us is it says at the end of the Last Supper, when Jesus is there with his disciples having Passover, and then he takes the bread and he breaks it and says, I'm establishing a new covenant. My body is, this is a symbol of my body broken for you. And he poured out the wine and he passed it around. He says, this is part of the covenant. This is a symbol of my blood that's shed for you. And then it says this. After dinner, they sung a hymn and then they went out into the garden. What would be the hymn that they would have sung at the end of Passover? Well, we know that these are the songs that they sing. And so here's what I want you to think about. The last song that Jesus sang with his disciples as he walked into the new day of his passion was this song right here, Psalm 118. The song still in his mind, on his lips, was this song. As he's walking out into a new day and into the garden, what would happen? He would begin his passion there at nighttime in the garden, the stars under the stars and under the moon, and he would begin his passion in agony, crying out to the Lord, and with resolve, surrendering, saying, "Not my will, but Your will be done." And then he'd be arrested. He'd be under a mock trial. He'd be beaten. He'd be whipped. He would be. He'd stand before a crowd. They would demand his execution, his crucifixion. He'd be nailed to a cross and he would die. And as he began his passion that night under the stars in the garden, the last song he sang was a victory song. But look at this. I mean, how could, how could this be a victory for Jesus? I mean, listen to what it says. The psalmist The psalmist says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord and you answered me, but Jesus goes from there right into the garden and calls out, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And he hears silence, not set free from what was set before him. The psalmist says, what could man possibly do to me? The Lord's on my side. And a few hours after Jesus sings this, he's on a cross. His body mutilated all of the inventive things that man had done to him. And he cries out to the father, why have you forsaken me? The Lord is not at his side. The psalmist says, I will look on triumph on those who hate me. But as he's nailed to a cross, he looks down at his executioners. And they're dividing his garments, the spoil of their triumph. The psalmist writes, it's better to take refuge in, Lord, in the Lord than to trust in men or to trust in, in princes. But what happened to Jesus? The Father gave him over to the angry crowds, demanding that he be crucified. He gave him over to be passed from one set of princes to another, from the Sanhedrin to Pilate to Herod, back to Pilate. And in the midst of all of that, those princes failed justice, and an innocent man was killed. He said, all the, the psalmist writes, all the nations surround me, but I will cut them off. But what happened to Jesus? The Messiah was cut off, and from all nations, a crowd all around him mocking at the spectacle of Jesus hanging there, rejected on the cross. The psalmist says, I will cut them off, and they will be like a fire that goes out among thorns. But Jesus' life was snuffed out wearing, while he's wearing a crown of thorns, The psalmist says, I was pushed so hard, I was falling, but the Lord helped me. But Jesus suffered death, even death on a cross, one of the worst deaths you could die. The psalmist writes, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly, but the one that was sitting at the right hand of the Father comes to earth and dies as a spectacle, a horror. The psalmist says, I shall not die, but I shall live But the author of life himself dies, not spared from death. The psalmist says, the Lord's disciplined me severely but didn't give me over to death. But the very one that deserved no discipline took the chastisement that our sins deserved all the way to the point of death. How could this be Jesus' song? How could this be the song he sings on his way out to the garden? How could Jesus sing a song of triumph in the midst of so much defeat? The only possible way is if Jesus were to do something that no one had ever done or conceived of doing before the only way is if there is going to be such a twist and turn in the story that no one could have anticipated. The only way is if there was something coming, if actually his suffering and his death and all the mockery and rejection, theres only if all of that was actually a trap laid for death and sin and evil itself. Only if he knew something that everyone else around him did not know. Only then could there be a victory. Only if Jesus knew that there was another act coming, a final move on the third day when the, when the sun and the dawn came up on the night and the stone was rolled away. Only if Jesus is the one that knew that the cross could not defeat him and the grave could not hold him and death could not stop him and evil itself could not over- overcome him. Only then could he do something of all ironies of walking into death and suffering and rejection itself and that be the pathway to his victory. Christian, that is the ultimate irony. It's the ultimate trap. He did something that no one else could do. It is actually through his suffering, through his death, through what looked like defeat to be his ultimate moment of victory. See, Jesus stood silent before his accusers with the confidence of knowing that he was unstoppable. He was unbeatable. He could not be defeated. So on the night he walked into his suffering, he sang a song of victory. But here's what I want you to know. That victory that Jesus won, do you know what the scripture says about that victory? It says that that victory song, because of Jesus, if you're in Jesus, if you've been saved by Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, it says that if you're in Jesus, that victory song is sung over you. Let me read this to you. Let, let your mind be dazzled at this truth, Christian. Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christian, the same spirit who in all power stunned all of the universe in the moment, the most do-or-die moment that all of creation was waiting and groaning for to see if the curse could be rolled back and if every molecule on this entire universe, every particle could be redeemed from the curse. And in that do-or-die moment, Jesus turned defeat into the greatest victory and that power that raised him from the dead. Christian, it's alive in you. Do you Believe that, Christian. The spirit of the living God dwells in you. So Christian, I don't know what you might be walking through right now. I don't know what dark garden you find yourself calling out to the Lord right now. I don't know what battle you are fighting right now, but you have a victory you can claim because that victory has already been won for you. That's the victory that you have. You may be battling your flesh You may be battling some sin issue that you can't find victory over. You may be battling your body. You may have a health concern that you're not sure that you're gonna make it through. You may be battling in your finances. You may be battling in your career. You may be battling relationally with a family member or a friend or a loved one. You may be in deep battle and looking up into the darkest night, but here's what you know. There's a battle that's been won for you and that night will give way to the dawn. You know that that night will vanish one day. You know that those stars will set one day and the sun will rise. That is a victory that has been promised over you because Jesus with the strong arm, the right hand of the Lord has won the victory for you. Do you believe that Christian? You may be in the night, but you can have the confidence you can have the restful confidence, the same one your savior did because he spoke in resurrection over you. In the most unexpected moment, against all odds, he can bring victory and he will. You know, I'm not a a huge fan of opera but there is something I do appreciate about opera. And that's, it's that even if you don't know the words or are fuzzy on the plot, the, the emotion that it captures, it just resonates deeply inside of you. And there's one particular aria, there's one particular song, it's one of the most famous uh, opera pieces, probably in history, um, it's just like that. It just captures something that deeply resonates deep down. And it's not a long song. It's a short aria. But let me tell you the backdrop. It was, uh, it's a turidote. And the Puccini, the famous opera writer, uh, wrote it. And he wanted to write a, an opera that just had this heart-ringing passion all the way through it. And so he had to invent the plot. And as you know, if you know anything about opera plots, they're a little strange. <laughs> and this one is, uh, is no exception. But I think part of the reason was because they're trying to create these moments that pour out emotion. And so here's how this one opera works. It opens in Act 1, and it's in this town square in this kingdom, and there's a foreign prince that's being led through the crowd to his execution. And we find out why. It's because he was a suitor of the princess, Turidote. He was a suitor for her. But she does not want to be married. She's violently opposed to being married. And so she set up a law. She said any suitor, any foreign prince that comes here has to answer three nearly impossible riddles. And if they can answer those riddles, she will become that prince's bride. If they can't answer those riddles, they will be beheaded, they'll be executed. And so for years, this has been happening over and over. Many people have died, and right now we're seeing the latest victim. He's walking through this this crowd, and there's Turdot, the princess. And the crowds begin begging her, please have mercy on this man. But we see the coldness of her heart. We see her murderous uh, intention against this guy, and she has no mercy on him. He's executed. Well, there's someone in the crowd who actually himself is a foreign prince. And so he sees this take place, and he's absolutely horrified at the violence and the injustice. But then he takes one look at the princess, and he immediately falls madly in love with her, because that's realistic. (laughs) He immediately overlooks some of her character flaws (laughs) and falls madly in love with her. And he says, he says, I am going to become her suitor. And the people around him are saying, what are you doing? Please don't do that. And he marches up to this gong and he picks up uh, the the stick and he, he bangs the gong three times, officially announcing himself as a suitor. And act one closes. Act 2 opens up, and they're in the throne room, and everyone is pleading with this prince, please don't do this. Don't become her suitor. No one has survived. You're just giving your life away, and he will not be deterred. He says, no, I love this woman. I will marry this woman. And he says, bring the riddles. And so they ask the first one. And amazingly, he immediately answers it correctly. Asks the second one, he answers it correctly. Asks the third question, he answers it correctly. No one can believe it. He's the first prince. He's answered all the questions correctly. Everyone in the throne room is cheering. They can't believe it all except the princess. She begs the emperor, her father, please, please don't make me marry this man. And the prince doesn't want to marry this woman without winning her heart. So the prince interrupts and says this. I will ask the princess one riddle. If she can answer this one riddle, then I will put my life in her hands, which means basically certain death. And she agrees, and he says, here's my one question. What is my name? And Acts two closes. Act three opens up, and we find the prince at night in a garden under the stars. And he hear that the princess says, nobody sleeps tonight until we learn this man's name. And so they're all going around the, the kingdom and he's standing there in the darkness and he sings this aria. It's called uh, Nobody Sleeps, Nessun Dorma. And he sings this aria and here's what the aria says. He's imagining the, this princess up in her chamber With her coldness of heart. But his love and his hope are undeterred. And so he says in this song, he makes a decision. Tomorrow I will go into the throne room. And I myself will tell her my name. I will whisper it to her with a kiss. And then I'll place myself in her hands. And if he doesn't win her heart, he will die but he has to win her heart, he has to win. And the song with this great crescendo declares, I will win, I will win. The song that he sings in that garden that night under the stars is one of the most memorable opera pieces in history and some believe that no one sings it better than the master himself, Pavarotti. I wanna show you one of his most memorable performances of this song, Nessun Dorma, check it out. like that just it's like a deep chord in our soul resonates at dawn the prince went into the throne room and won the heart of the princess and when the emperor the king her dad asked her what, what is his name? She said, love. I think the reason that even in the midst of a bizarre plot, music like that just grabs us deep down is because we're longing for a story, we're pre-wired to long for a story, a real story, a true story. A story of love and triumph. Not just, but but it's a story that's bigger than us, at the same time bigger than us, and at the same time so much more deeply intimate with our lives than we can put into words. And I think we're pre-programmed along for that story because there's a story that's true that you're a part of and you're drawn into. See, there was a far greater prince that cried out in a garden under the stars. And he was facing a do-or-die moment to win a bride that didn't deserve him. He came to win a bride, win a people that themselves would be murderous towards him. But unlike the prince in the opera, he wouldn't just merely escape death. He would walk through death and come on the other side victorious. And in so doing, all of your nights vanish and all of your stars set because you know there's a dawn coming of victory because you're. In Jesus and he won the victory for you. As we reflect on his victory together tonight, we're gonna do what he told us to do, which is we're gonna take communion. Some of you are here and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to hold off from taking communion because this is a declaration that Jesus is your Savior. There's going to be ushers that are going to walk down the aisle. If you need um, some communion elements, just slip your hand in the air. They'll get some for you. But I want you to hear me. Just hang with me one second. I think that there's some that are here, and this is what you're thinking about God. I think there's some of you here thinking, what God wants is for you to work harder and win a spiritual victory on your own by your good works or your acting like a Christian or going to church or praying or being nice or being good, being holy. But that is not the gospel. You cannot be saved that way. You cannot make it to heaven that way. You cannot make it to heaven by being good, by being religious or being Christian. Only make it to heaven by the work that Jesus did, by the victory he won for you. So when we do this, it's not to do another religious action to try and win some spiritual race before God. See, God, look what I'm doing. Is this enough? No, no. When we take this, we're remembering that Jesus, the work he did is finished. He won a victory once and for all for you, for your soul. So, some of you might want to take that step. Maybe you're taking communion. You might have taken communion a hundred times before, but when you take it this time, you're receiving Jesus as your Savior. You're not trying to be a Savior of yourself through your religious deeds. This time, when you take communion, it will be different. You'll be declaring that Jesus already won the victory for you. And if that's how you're taking communion today, accepting His victory, You're finding salvation for the first time. And we want to share in that moment with you. So let us know after the service. Come and find one of us and let us know. We're going to take some more time to worship the Lord and sing to him for a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to take this communion. Go ahead and take the top layer off of this communion cup. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember his broken body together. You can open the next foil. He took the cup after service, after supper. Poured out the wine. And he took this cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is a symbol of my blood poured for you. It's what saves you. As you take this, do this in remembrance of me, he said. Let's remember Jesus. Jesus, we remember your sacrifice. And it is our pleasure to worship you, to lift our voices to you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to cheer for you. It's our joy to remember what you did for our salvation. Would you be pleased as we offer you not only our our song, not only the service, but our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the band to come on out And church, here's how we're going to end our time of worship. It's a little bit different. I want you to reflect and receive these songs. You'll hear some scriptures, parts of the psalm that we looked at, Psalm 118. But specifically, here's what I want you to, to hear. And you can sing along if you would like. But as you hear these songs, I want you to do something a little bit different. I want you to enter into that moment when Jesus sang that song. Hear this psalm, not even as much as how it applies to you, but what it was like for Jesus to sing this. When you hear these songs, it's hard not to think about how it applies to you, but take a moment and hear what it would be like for Jesus to sing this to, to the Father. Hear these songs from his perspective, and let's reflect on the incredible sacrifice that he walked through to win the ultimate victory for all time. Let's reflect together.
0: Thanks for listening.